Welcome to the Breaking Into Finance podcast. My name is Craig Thompson, and this is the open source field guide to help you understand everything you need to know about breaking into finance. Let's dive in. Hey, everybody, back with Blaze and Olivia. And we're talking about one last topic before we get into discounted cash flow evaluation analysis, which is we need to talk about working capital and networking capital. And for those who are listening in, I do actually have some visual aids to help kind of describe some of this stuff. I think it's pretty helpful. So I would recommend that you check out the YouTube link that's in the show notes if you want to follow along with the visuals. Otherwise, you're welcome to keep listening along and we'll try to verbally describe as best I can everything that we're seeing. So today we're talking about networking capital and why do we care about it? It impacts a lot of different things, mostly cash flow forecasting, but that impacts valuation. And then later on, we'll talk about how it's also an important part of M&A negotiation too. Um, that's a little bit of an advanced topic, but working capital is hugely important. And this builds on something that we were just talking about in the last episode, which is that the best predictors of future performance appear on your income statement. So think net income or profitability, think um, EBIT or EBITDA technically does not appear on the income statement. Technically, it's a non-GAAP item, um, but everybody kind of thinks of it as an income statement-like item. So all of these great predictors of future performance appear on your income statement. But also, as we talked about last week, the most important measure of outcomes and the number one thing that we really care about is cash flow, um, which is very different from the types of stuff we'd see on the income statement. Um, and that appears on the cash flow statement. And working capital represents several different line items that are both important in dollar number, and they're also recurring structural differences between the income statement and the cash flow statement. So hugely important topic that I want to spend time on. And really, it's all about timing. It tracks the differences between when a company recognizes revenue or expenses on their income statement and when money actually changes hands. So this is where we're, you know, when we're doing all of these three statement, you know, how does this affect this type of exercises? There are things like depreciation that are non-cash items. That is one important adjustment, but there's whole this whole other set of important adjustments that fall into working capital line items. And the way I want to start by talking about this is like, not only what does count as working capital or networking capital, but what doesn't. Um, so here we have an example of a forecasted balance sheet. And the first thing to note is that our balance sheet balances in every year, we can see, you know, 707, 7, 120, 707, 120, 18, 448, 343, 3, 3, 3, 3, 4, 3, 4, 3. So in every year, our total assets equals our total liability plus our total equity. So we're happy that our forecast, um, our forecasted balance sheet balances, which is great. Um, so let's talk about some things that are not working capital. Um, so in our equity section, preferred stock, common stock, this is basically ways in which the company you know, got some initial money from equity investors. Retained earnings, as we've chatted about, is just 
the accumulation of old profits that are still in the business, not working capital. Um, now let's talk about, um, you know, next in liabilities. So short-term debt, long-term debt, these are, you know, these are debt items. These are long-term items. Even the short-term debt is a structural decision to finance your business, not networking capital. Um, other long-term assets, these are, that's a, a very common line item that you'll see. So illiquid assets that won't go away during regular business activities, goodwill, which is kind of another made up item for the value of intangible assets that you've acquired through acquisitions, not networking capital. Oh, and um, PP&E, which stands for um, property, plant, and equipment. So this is the type of stuff that CapEx would contribute to. So property, plant, and equipment would be things like your, you know, the value of your factory, the value of heavy machinery that is an important input to a good that you produce. Um, so kind of stuff like that. All of that, not networking capital. So, um, oh, and then the last thing is cash balance, not networking capital because working capital consists of items that will become cash or will consume cash, but cash is already cash. So not part of networking capital. And that leaves us with accounts receivable in this model and accounts payable. Accounts receivable is the value of dollars where you've uh, you've performed the work, you've recognized revenue for the work, but your customers haven't paid you yet. Um, and accounts payable on the flip side is when someone has done some work for you and you owe them money, but you haven't paid them yet. Um, so if I, if my accounts receivable balance increases um, and nothing happens to my revenue or anything like that, um, just all else equal, if my accounts receivable is higher, what do you think happens to my cash balance, higher or lower? It's gonna be lower. Exactly, exactly. Um, and now same question for accounts payable. All else equal, if my accounts payable were higher, how does that affect my cash balance? The opposite. <laughs> yep, exactly. Yeah, so um, having lots of payables outstanding. Intellectually, you might think of that as bad, like because a lot of people have like badge of honor. I always pay my bills on time. The second I get a bill, I pay it. I'm super reliable. It turns out that in like the corporate context that the longer you can convince people to wait until you pay them, uh, the more you will structurally have a little bit of extra cash in your business for longer and vice versa. If you were the type of company that either because you're not following up on getting paid or maybe because your customers have a lot of sway over you and they're like, we'll use you and we'll pay you. But just so you know, we only pay people, you know, 90 days after the service is provided. Um, and so a great example of that is the dynamic that takes place between companies like Walmart and consumer brands that are trying to get access to Walmart. So um, the more 
you the more leverage that a company has in those negotiations, the more likely they might be able to dictate terms over which, you know, the lag or lead time for which they get paid. And there are six, you know, there's there's more than this, but 99% of all of the working capital you'll see will fall into one of these six categories. And like 95% of it is in three categories, which are accounts receivable. That's money that customers owe you. We talked about that. Inventory is another one um, that, that matters a lot for companies that produce physical goods. Um, like if I have, if I run a consulting firm, we don't have any inventory. Um, but this is basically things that you, and, and I, I wrote finished goods here, but it could be incomplete goods. It's, it's just things that you've bought that are going to be sold at some point, but you haven't sold it yet. So an example would be if you're running a lemonade stand and you've have like a, you know, 10 cups of lemonade that are like all ready to go. Like the ice is in them, the lemonade is in them, is in them. They're all shaken. They're just sitting on your stand waiting to sell the customers. That's inventory. Um, and so the idea of tracking inventory is that you paid money for the lemons and the sugar and the ice and the cups. And so that money went out the door when you went to the store to buy it. And there's this period while they're ready for sale, but you haven't sold them yet, where they're sitting in inventory. Um, and by the way, I, I so I wrote finished goods here because you would also include, if you have an employee that's like making lemonade for you, you would include their salary cost for the time that they spent making the lemonade. Like that is part of like a value added process that took lemons and made lemonade. Um, so if you have finished goods, you'd include their time that they spent like making the lemonade as part of the inventory cost uh, as well. Prepaid expenses, you'll see these often enough, but they're usually lower in magnitude um, and less critical for forecasting. And these are basically things that you've paid for, but haven't benefited from. Um, and so an example might be if I have like a law firm on retainer or something, and I, um, you know, and they request that I pay them upfront, um, you know, or something where I, I pay somebody for some service that they haven't provided for me yet. Um, all of these are assets, by the way, right? Like if you have accounts receivable, that is you have this asset, which is you have a customer contract where they owe you money and you haven't gotten it yet. So it's an asset, but it's not cash. Inventory. You have all this stuff, you've already paid for it, it's ready to sell, but you haven't sold it yet. It's an asset, it's not yet cash. Same thing with prepaid expenses. You've actually, in this case, paid the cash already um, for a service that you're owed. So the asset is there's this like service that is deliverable to you at some point. On the flip side, there are liabilities that count as working capital. Accounts payable, we talked about that earlier. It's money that you owe somebody. So somebody did some work for you. You owe them the money, but you haven't paid them yet. Deferred revenue is money that you've already received for work that you owe. This is a very common line item that you'll see in software businesses. So if you are a company like Oracle, 
and you were selling these like enterprise software solutions to businesses. One thing you might do that they that they typically do is they'll charge an annual fee for access to their software for the upcoming year. And so they will basically charge companies, you know, like every June 1st, they charge that annual fee and they usually get paid up front. So their deferred revenue would basically be, they collect a bunch of cash from customers every June 1st, but then they owe the customers access to their software for a year and they're not going to get paid anymore for that. So that is an example of deferred revenue, which is similar to this averaging out concept of like, you owe a year's worth of your service to somebody and you got paid for a year of that service upfront. And so over the course of those 11 months, you'll gradually reduce the deferred revenue associated with that contract. Um, so it's money that you know will become revenue soon, but you can't call it revenue until the month goes by where you've actually delivered them the service. And then the last uh, liability item we'll talk about here that counts as working capital is accrued expenses, which is in a lot of ways the opposite of prepaid expenses. So this is things that you've benefited from, but haven't yet paid for. And so the three things that people really memorize on this list are accounts receivable, accounts payable, inventory for, for you know companies that produce physical goods. And then if you're in the software space, everybody cares about deferred revenue. And then these prepaid expenses, accrued expenses, they usually don't like structurally grow as the business grows, but receivables do, right? Like the more revenue you make, the more customers you sign, if every customer on average pays you like 20 days after you send them an invoice, then as your revenue grows, your receivables grows too. And so this is why working capital is a really important component of any free cash flow forecast we do because your working capital base almost always is structurally growing as your business grows or structurally contracting as your business contracts. That does it for today's episode. Thank you so much for listening. And remember to check out our website, breakingintofinancepodcast.com, where you can submit questions, join our Substack to stay up to date on new content releases, and much, much more. We'll see you next time.